What do first home buyers need to know about negative equity? That's what we're covering in this episode. How to make sure your home is not worth less than you owe the bank. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. And that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories and avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. Come on the journey with us. We want you to become an educated home buyer so you can stop looking for your first home and actually become a proud homeowner. We will help you get to where you want to be without missing a step or making rookie mistakes. We've got loads of free tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll get access to our free webinar, how to buy your first home with the right amount of debt. You'll also find the holy grail of home buying education, your first home buyer guide, the online course of people who want to be educated home buyers. We have created this for you to help you get in the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change rapidly. So always check with the relevant government authority or your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about negative equity. It's something that first home buyers in particular need to know about, and it's something that you want to do your best to avoid. But before we get into that, there's a special house in the video behind Megan this week. What the hell is that? I'm sure this person hasn't got negative equity, or they might. I'm not sure. (laughs) This this is a 27-level home, a single home for a family in India, and Six of the floors of this 27-level home are dedicated to their cars. Wow. Isn't that aspirational? Now, we talk, we're talk. we talking to first-time buyers here, and we know this is not going to be your first home, but it's exciting sometimes to see what other people do. Uh, yeah. I guess that's what happens when there's not a lot of land for the amount of people around. You have to go up, <laughs> you go up. not out. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into this topic. Um, Because negative equity, let's talk about what that is. Um, And what that is, is it refers to a situation where the value of an asset, in this case we're talking about a house or a home or an apartment, um, is lower than the outstanding debt or the loan secured against it. And it does happen, it does happen. Believe it or not, despite a lot of the the media around with interest rates rising and falling prices and all the rest of it, it's not as common as you might think. In fact, it's in the whole scheme of things, it's not a huge problem. The Commonwealth Bank at the end of 2022, for example, they came out and revealed that only half a percent of the home loans on its books were in negative equity. So it is small, 
but it is particularly relevant to first home buyers. Tends to be um, when when things change in the market. Yes, you know, it's, it's it's largely can be a market driven sort of thing, and I guess that's what you and I want to help people understand is you you can have a bit of control over this. Um, and there are some things that we're going to talk about that you can be alert to when you're buying a house, and also, you know, making some uh, making some suggestions and and understanding some of the schemes that are available. You know, they they can be a bit risky when it comes to negative equity. Yeah. Now, the RBA estimates that even if property prices fell ten percent this year, so they they estimated this in January, they they estimated that even if property prices dropped further ten percent from January 2023. Only two percent of mortgages would wind up in the red. So, you know, it's it's even with price falls, as my, as Megan just said, when things change, that's what can create this problem. And of course, and I've included in the links uh, to the show notes here a link to an ABC article um, where they've sort of done a little bit of maths and worked out that it might affect about sixty five thousand households and maybe um, hundred thousand people. And the reason that we bring this up is because of that hundred thousand people. A vast majority because the, would be first home buyers because the people most at risk of negative equity are first home buyers. So we want to take a deeper look at how it can happen, how to avoid it. Well, when prices fall, it's a really uncomfortable place to be for any homeowner. Let's face it. Nobody wants the value of their property to fall. But when you only purchased it um, maybe a year or two earlier, then you're at greater risk of the property price falling to less than what you paid for it. And so that's that's an issue for everyone. None of us feel really good about that. And the market will do that at times. It will go up, it will go down. It will go up, it will go down. So there, there are periods of time and there are periods of time uh, where some people just luck out in the first years of owning the property. But over a long period of time, if they bought the right property and they can hold on to it, it doesn't really matter. And certainly if the value drops and you still could pay the bank back if you sold it, then it's less of an issue than if the value drops below what your mortgage amount is. And that's where what Megan was saying there about the low deposit of a 2% or 5% deposit, those people who take advantage of those schemes, and we're not saying that everybody will suffer this who takes advantage of those schemes. We're just saying that you're more at risk of this happening. So it's just something to be very aware of. And, and certainly back in 2021, when prices were rising like mad, then people were jumping into the property market without really thinking about the risks. And it's only when things slow down that the risks become apparent. And so that's why we just want to make sure that everybody who listens to us here is understanding the risks of buying and when they buy and and taking advantage of various government incentives that can actually inadvertently help you be at a greater risk of this happening. And so that's something to be very aware of. Yeah, and, and talk about that period where um, things are really quite heady, like it was a very exciting, um, prices were, were moving almost on a weekly basis, it was really hard to keep up and and that sort of engaged people in that fear of missing out and that behaviour of, well, it doesn't matter what I've got to pay as long as I get into the property market now. That's the, that's the times where sometimes you can be at risk of not understanding or not comprehending that things can go the other way as well. And until you've kind of ridden through a couple of those cycles and, and got a few years under your belt and a, a few ups and downs, um, understanding how to hold on during the downturns um, to be able to catch the upturns again and feel a bit more comfortable about your position 
is is a really hard one um, and it, it can really play on your mind too. So making sure that you, you're going into something, you know, at the right price, but getting the right quality property. And I, I think, you know, the base of everything, Veronica, you and I just talk all the time about getting the quality of the property right. And and you've got a better chance of riding through a downturn if the quality of the property is right and you've paid the right price when you come into it. Exactly right. You know, it's sort of funny. I think that probably people who are thinking of selling um, and people who are thinking of buying should both really ignore headlines at that p- critical <laughs> critical time because FOMO does make people jump into the market but then you get people bailing out of the market in panic when prices start falling as well. And I know it's insane. It's like, stop, just stop. You know, let's pull out and have a long lens on this. You know, we often talk about you do need to make granular decisions. You have to know the market on a granular level. But there's these, there's these bigger pictures you have to understand in terms of, you know, the ups and downs of the market. So, so yes, it's very important um, that you do recognise these risks. Now, what are the other risk factors for people suffering from negative equity? So the important point here is that if you're not forced to sell, it sort of doesn't matter. Yeah, sure, you don't want to be paying the bank back more than you, you know, the property's worth, but that is what it is. It's if you're forced to sell it that it becomes a problem, yeah. right? So there, there are people that are at greater risk of needing to sell. And and those are the people that have made low prepayments and haven't built up buffers. And if they are in a situation where they're forced to sell but they can't cover the debts, if they do sell, they, you know that's an inenviable position to be in, right? So and this is just one of the big risks. So if people got into the market when prices were at their peak, they got in with a tiny deposit, they bought an asset that fell in value a lot more than other properties, and then they lost their job or something else terrible happened that that forced them to sell the property, those people would really suffer from negative equity a lot in a huge way, whereas other people who might go through a period of negative equity but keep making their repayments, the market turns around and they start getting some growth and they start building up their buffers, et cetera, et cetera, they're never going to feel the pain of the negative equity. It's sort of an on-paper negative equity until you yes. realise the sale and then, and then it's real. Yeah. And so, of course, newer loans are the ones that are more likely to enter negative equity, as we've mentioned, um, because those people who took out those loans have benefited a lot less um, from earlier housing price increases. So, the longer you own a property, you know, the more its opportunity has got to go up in value. And you also had less time to build up that equity and also the savings buffers. So, so those, you know, obviously people with new mortgages first home buyers, that is, um, are greater risk and also off the plan sales, which is a whole other. Gosh, we could do many episodes Hand about that. worms. <laughs> <laughs> but negative <laughs> equity can occur there for other reasons. And it can be a long-term game, that one as well. So, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think we want to go into off plan sales too much here because it can really go against you. It can really go for you. Um, it, it is an absolute gamble doing off-plan purchase. Absolutely. It's a gamble and no doubt about it because the thing is what you're doing with off-the-plan, you're paying the price at the time, um, you know, with the market's doing what the market will bear at the time that you enter into that contract. Yeah. And then you don't know what's going to happen in the next two years or so between when you do that, when you agree at that price and when you go to settle on that property. 
So if you agreed on a price in, in July 2021, for instance, and that's going to settle in July 2023 and be built in that intervening time, you know, there's a fair chance that that actually the, the value on settlement would come in less than what you've agreed to pay and you've got to find the money. You don't actually yet have you don't actually yet have the mortgage, but you still got to find the money in some way. And if you're looking at a um, a deposit guarantee, a two or a five percent or a ten percent, um, you've got to find somehow where to get that money from, uh, because the bank isn't going to revalue the, the 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 property if the value of it's gone down. Well, they actually no, the bank is going to revalue the property. And lend you that lesser amount, so that ninety-eight percent of the lesser amount. You still got to pay the developer or the the person that sold the property the amount that you agreed to at the time of the contract. So unless you've been able to increase your income or been able to increase your your savings, the risk is where do you find that money? Well, yeah, and in that case, you might find that you don't technically have negative equity in the sense that your mortgage is not going to be um, more than the property is worth, but Often these properties don't go up in value for quite some time um, because there's lots of reasons. As I said, Megan said, we're not going to do a whole episode and off the plan, but they often don't go up for, in value for some time. And sometimes they even continue to lose value for a period sure. of time. So then you can easily get in negative equity territory. So, so that is one huge, easily avoidable risk um, is to just recognize all those risks and don't don't grab, particularly don't grab government incentives that make you go and buy off plan because <laughs> you are taking an enormous risk there. And I want to say, we're, we're not suggesting that you don't take advantages of these things in terms of the government guarantees that are available. They are absolutely meant to help people get into the property market and they can be used quite effectively. But what we want to make sure that people are doing is going in with eyes completely wide open, really understanding what your position is and what the risks are because if something goes against you and usually what you know Veronica talked about you only realize the actual loss when you go to sell and usually people are only forced to sell for in situations that they had never anticipated and it is things like divorce or loss of job or having to move or a change in in circumstances or situation maybe an illness of a uh, someone close to you that forces you to move into state so usually these things don't come because you've planned them. They're kind of forced upon you at a time that you hadn't anticipated and you hadn't prepared for and you may not have the buffers to be able to deal with an unexpected need to sell at a time where you don't have enough money to cover the difference between what you can get and what you need to pay the bank. So it's important to know also that your refinancing options are limited to if you have negative equity. So you can become a mortgage prisoner. And so once again, as we mentioned earlier. Hearing that a lot lately, Veronica, it's 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 a term that's becoming a little bit more colloquial. You know, people are using it a lot more. Let's explain that. Well what it means is that you you're trapped in the mortgage you've got. So you don't have the flexibility to be able to refinance it or go to a different bank. Um and you know, for example, People became mortgage prisoners yeah, with interest rate rises because um, with the new rates, with the buffers that are put in place, if they applied for a loan at those same rates, given given the new buffers and the assessments and the rest of it, they wouldn't actually be offered the same amount of loans. So therefore, they're stuck with the lender they're with because um, the rules have changed. Other times, it's because, well, actually, it happened with APRA 
that so that's just with interest rate rises. APRA changed the rules back in 2016, which tightened up the um, the multiples of income that you could borrow. So that was just a, a, a not to do with interest rate rises, but to do with the rules around uh, bank lending and the assessment of um, of loans. And so, you know, people who um, were assessed at a higher rate couldn't get reassessed at the same amount. Or perhaps you've done a, you know, you might have have a career change and you've taken a lower paying job and you've built up a big buffer and you're, you're paying off your mortgage and you've prepared for that. But you, because your income has fallen so much, might not be able to, um, re, you know, get that loan again, which means that if your bank decides that, you know, they've got some horrible policy and, and they're going to raise interest rates and everybody else is dropping them for argument's sake, not that that happens very often, but if that would happen or if your bank was was offering less favourable deals and you wanted to start shopping around, you wouldn't be able to. So that's that's what a mortgage prisoner is. And so with negative equity, that is um that is a situation where, you know, no no bank is going to want your business because you because and you won't be able to take it anywhere because you owe more than the property's worth. And so you're going to be stuck there until such time as um as values increase or you pay down a huge amount of that equity. So that's what a mortgage prisoner is, someone who has no flexibility to change. Let's talk about LMI because this is a really interesting one. So lenders mortgage insurance, it almost sort of sounds like it should be some sort of insurance or protection for you in case things go wrong. But but in reality, it, it doesn't protect borrowers. It actually protects the lending institution. So the, 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 the bank that's lent you the money or the whatever the institution is that's lent you the money, it's an insurance policy that you pay for in case you default and it covers the bank. Um, and, and sometimes a, a, a good thing to talk to a mortgage broker about when you are a home buyer is potentially going into LMI territory if you haven't got a big enough deposit to meet the 20% criteria. So the line to value ratio of 80% where you put in 20% and the bank puts in 80%. Sometimes, and we've talked about this and we want to make sure that you understand we're not saying don't do this, but sometimes you might look at a rising market and say, wow, it's going to take me another seven years to be able to save enough deposit to not pay LMI to get my 20%. In that time, prices may have gone up by well over how much I could save. And in fact, what I can buy you know, comparatively then is going to be so much less than what I could buy now. So sometimes going into LMI territory and paying the LMI can actually help you, um, you, you know, avoid trying to outsave the market rises. So it can be a good thing to talk to a broker about as long as you understand the implications of doing that. And that is that the bank you owe the bank more money the, the, as a percentage of the price of the property. If you have to go to sell, then you have the potential of going into that negative equity space if the value of your property has decreased. So LMI can be a strategy to look at. It has to be looked at really carefully with a broker who can advise you really well, but it is potentially one of those areas where you have to understand the risk of if the value of the property goes down, you might end up in that negative equity territory. Which is like a double whammy, isn't it? Because you've paid for an insurance policy that protects the bank, not you, and then you end up in double in negative equity because you could have potentially actually paid that off your own principal. So that that's that's a horrible situation to be in. And and I guess with a government guarantee, so that five percent deposit guarantee and the two percent for single parents, um, that's where the government is effectively paying your LMI for you. So the government is insuring um the bank 
against you defaulting. So at least you don't have to step stump up the LMI cost. But still, and this is all about the risk of having a low deposit and understanding that you're not really protected um, if the market does go down and it's not in your favour. And so the, there, there are a couple of things that we want to tell you about that does protect you as a first home buyer because the bank's not going to protect you, LMI doesn't protect you, government incentives don't protect you. Really, what's the number one thing that protects you, Megan? Oh, it's good asset selection. I mean, you've been listening to this podcast long enough to know that we are all about making sure that the property that you buy is the best that you can buy within your financial means. And and getting that asset selection right is the best way to manage your risk. Nothing is risk-free. Property is not risk-free. The market may turn. We may have another GFC type event. We might have another pandemic type event, these sorts of things that can't be anticipated but are possible. And and look, we might have another X Factor event come up. Who knows we what will. the next one's going just, to, to just be. Just accept it we will happen. It will happen. So having the best property you can possibly afford and making some really smart investment-based decisions for that first home is the best way to manage your risk so that you have the least impact possible if there is a general market downturn. And there are properties even, you know, where sort of around the middle of 2023, Sydney and Melbourne have had a bit of a dip in prices, probably not as bad as as the media is reporting. So just be careful about that. Well, actually in recent months, we've had increases, but anyway. (laughs) There are properties during that time that have not gone down in value. And I guess the point being that even in a general downturn, a good quality asset that is A grade and has all of those attributes that we talk about, it can buck the trend. Yes. So that is without doubt one of the best things you can do to help manage your risk in this area. Do you know, I've done case study after case study showing examples of properties that have gone up in value when the rest of the market's falling, not because someone's renovated either, and others that have gone down in value when the market's rising. So it's it's not true that we forget the, sometimes that that can happen too. That right? happens. It can go yeah. both ways. So therefore, the rising market doesn't lift all. You know, rising tide does not lift all ships, and a falling market doesn't necessarily mean that every property is falling in value. And even if everything does fall in value, there are those that fall a lot and those that only fall a little bit. And so what we're talking about here is buying a good asset, the type of property that is likely to fall at a lower rate than everything else or rises at a greater rate than everybody else or or holds its own value when other things are losing value. It is possible to choose these types of properties. And the other thing with good asset selection is choosing the right property for you that's going to last you uh, the longest period of time. Because one of the things about being a mortgage prisoner, we talked about earlier, then you're trapped. You can't sell the property necessarily um, because you might not be able to get back into the market. Also, if that property, say you bought a two-bedroom apartment, say you bought a one-bedroom apartment, even worse, you bought a one-bedroom apartment and then you've coupled up and you've had a child and you're a mortgage prisoner, you're really stuck in that you can't upgrade. So buying the right asset is also thinking about what's going to serve you and suit you for the longest period of time. What's the best asset for you as well as what's the best asset in terms of um, protecting you against falls in value. So that that's a such a key 
issue when it comes to particularly first home buyers, but every home buyer really, but particularly first home buyers getting that right asset is so important for lots of reasons, but in order to protect you from negative equity, it's the number one thing you can do to protect yourself. Yeah, I, I think also not being tempted to, so you talk about having that long lens and thinking about, well, this property needs to do a job for a period of time and let me not just think about right now, let me think about five, 10 years is 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 the best lens. But it, it's also not being tempted to buy as cheaply as you can. So trying to keep your debt levels down in order to spend the least amount of money that you can, that, that can be a real trap. And it's something that um, it's really, it kind of seems counterintuitive, you know, I'll feel more comfortable if I spend less. Actually, it can put you into that mortgage prison. It can also put you in a, a place where the opportunity cost of what you could have achieved with the compounding growth of property over time could be far greater than if you just stretched yourself to a within your financial means, but you know, gone to a better quality property by spending a little bit more money within your financial means. So that that I think what is one that is really it feels more comfortable to spend less money, but if it's affordable and the asset is a better selection, then getting some comfort around, you know, your affordability and having some buffers can actually put you in a much better position long term. Absolutely. And look, that's the other thing too, in terms of what's protecting you, are things such like your buffer, like having having a fallback position, having having those uh, that money for a rainy day, basically, to give you a bit of breathing space should things happen, so that you're then not forced to have to sell the house. I mean, or the or the apartment. It's taken you so long to get it, you don't want to then be you know have live on a knife's edge. If nothing can You've go given wrong up in my a life lot to get this deposit, yeah, <laughs> you do not want nothing can go wrong in my life, or I'll lose my home. You don't want that to be the case, um, and so buffers are really important for that. And we get it, you know, inflation's rising, interest rates are rising, and also, um, you know, particularly if you might be in one of these boats. Now we're we're talking to first home buyers. Hopefully, you're not yet in the negative equity state. Hopefully, you never get into the negative equity state. But if you are in the negative equity state, obviously talking about getting building buffers is like, give me a break. How am I going to do that? Yeah, just trying to afford the mortgage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the rent in some cases. Yeah. And it might be time to get a second job just for a period of time. Like, you know, and it's like, I'm not advocating that that's okay in terms of society, but it is what it is at times. You know, you just suck it up and just deal with what is, I think is is the most important thing. But also, obviously, what's going to protect you as a borrower is not losing your job, not getting divorced. I mean, the, some of these things you have no control you over. You have no of control course. over a lot of these. And sometimes that is the right thing for you. But I guess we're looking at it from one side of the, the yes. You know, certainly not counselling you to stay in a marriage that you're unhappy no, in. No, no, definitely. Um, not do or that. to stay in a job <laughs> that is, you know, um, you know if, if it's a culture that is just horrendously difficult to deal with. But uh, perhaps have a plan of what you're going to do from there before you make the decision to depart from an income earning position. Yeah, it was slightly tongue in cheek there, but at the same time, you know, obviously that does protect you having a having a nice solid relationship with two incomes coming in, two safe incomes that are not under threat. Well, that is obviously a very an you know, a, a enviable second time I've used that word in this podcast, enviable position to be in. And in and life if you can live a charm life and 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 sail through like that and 
Good for you. I haven't actually lived that charm life. I don't think you have either, Megan. No, we haven't. But I guess the thing is you can rebuild and that I, I guess that's another part to it. Um, whilst we're opening your eyes and helping you understand risks and, and making good decisions and, and what your alternatives are, and um, the, the thing is if you do end up in this position, you can recover. It's not the you – know, you and I have both rebuilt our lives after um, financial difficulties divorce, sales of properties, you know, business ups and downs, all of those things, you can actually rebuild. It is not the end if you find yourself in a position where things haven't gone the way that you, you wanted them to go. You can recover, you can rebuild, and you know, it's always worth talking to people who have been through it to go, okay, well, what did you do and how did you do it and what can I learn from that? It is not the end if you find yourself in a position where you have to sell a property and somehow you have to cover the difference. It is not the end. It is only a new starting point. That's exactly right. Now, back to that good asset selection though, the one wonderful thing about knowing that you've chosen a good property, that even if you're in the situation where you have to sell it, that it will be an easy property to sell. You know what I mean? Like, And this is why we harp on about it because it does make your life easier if you do choose a good asset. But one thing that I would mention as, as we wrap this one up is that if you do find yourself in this boat of negative equity, it's not a panic, right? Un unless you're in a situation where you're struggling to meet your repayments, in which case we encourage you to talk to your bank. Banks are Don't coming stick up with your ways. Head in the sand. No, do not stick your head in the sand. Yeah, this Banks is not going to go away. Are open to talking to their customers to help them through this period, and and I think that's a good thing. And so they damn well should, but but it is a good thing. So they're not to be feared. Um, you know, it's better to be on the front foot with it. And it also can help with your own mental health as well because if you're, if you're sitting on these sorts of things and they're going over and over and over in your head, sometimes if you can have that conversation with someone who can give you options, things start to seem like they're, 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 they can be overcome. So by all means, banks don't want to repossess your house. They don't, that's not what they want to do. They don't want to be a mortgagee in possession. What they want to do is help people to be able to repay their loans. So having that conversation with the banks sooner rather than later, if for no other reason than to, you know, if, if you start to get behind or you feel like you can't make the payments or, or there might be a sale coming up, then at least if you've raised it, you can have a plan. You know what your options are. You know what you can do. And you've got a little bit more control when and it, or if and when the time comes that you just must sell. Yeah. And you know what? There's often more options than you think there are. And when you're under stress, we all do this. Our, our brains just zero in what we think of the options. And it's only afterwards you go, oh, I could have done that or that or that. And I know this from my own personal experience. So please don't do what I've done in the past. <laughs> there are people who very much want to help you through any of those difficult times. In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. 
And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff. 